Most of us in healthcare are warm, caring people who are committed to keeping our patients safe and doing no harm. But there are some among us who do the unthinkable and betray our noble profession. On this podcast, we like to shine a light on the good and the bad. Each week, I'll be joined by another healthcare professional, and together we'll dive into these stories while chatting about nursing and healthcare along the way. I'm Tina, a registered nurse, and this is Good Nurse, Bad Nurse. This is Tina again with Good Nurse, Bad Nurse. Welcome back for another week of true crime and nursing and healthcare. Just a little bit of everything. It's so good to have you guys back. And it's so good to have for my guest host this week, my son, my middle child, Joel. Hey, Joel. Hi. Sitting right beside me in this studio, the Good Nurse, Bad Nurse studios. Joel is not a nurse. He's he's not a nurse, but he's the son of a nurse. I feel like family members of nurses are part of the healthcare team because they have to kind of put up with us and our crazy schedules and missing holidays and having to have Christmas on a different day than everyone else. Maybe having to have two Thanksgivings and all of that stuff. And so I feel like, you know, you kind of have to be part of the healthcare team. I think if you're the son or daughter of a nurse... You're crazy if you become a nurse because you you grow up coming home to the stories of your mom telling all the stories of being a nurse. And yet, I know so many nurses who became a nurse because their mother or their grandmother or and maybe both were nurses. Maybe I mean, you complain a lot. <laughs> well, yeah, so I maybe do. Maybe you complain a lot. Yeah, me. Yeah, I complain a lot. Well, I don't know. That's just. <laughs> you can't say you complain a lot. Well, I mean, I think that's real. You know, I think. The most all nurses probably have to do that in order to stay sane, to complain to somebody. It's true. It's true. But the thing is that I, we all do complain. We complain to each other. We complain to our family. We complain about it because it's hard. It's a hard job. It's so hard. It's emotionally taxing. It's physically taxing. We deal with a lot of disrespect a lot of times. And so it's a difficult job. And at the same time, I also know that I talk a lot about how much I love it, how passionate I am about the job, how fulfilling it is, how wonderful it is to have the privilege of taking care of people at their most vulnerable moments. So I know that I probably do do say a lot of negative things, especially over the past couple of years. How could you not? I mean, Mm -hmm. it's like working retail, except it's life or death. Right. Of course, it's going to be stressful and you're going to complain a lot about it, but that doesn't Mm -hmm. take away from the good that you're doing. Well, it's just part of of the course. And it doesn't take away from the fact that I love it. I mean, really, I mean, we we complain and complain and complain about how difficult it is. And yet we also talk about how much we love doing it. I've compared nursing many times to being a server. Our, Our My youngest son, Levi, is a server at Cracker Barrel now, and he... He comes home and talks about all of his experiences, and it's weird how, you know, they they have a station with so many tables that they're responsible for, and people can be, you know, really not understanding. They don't care if you're new. They don't care how understaffed you are. 
they want their food. They're <laughs> you know, hungry. They're hungry. People who are hungry get upset. That's people who are hungry people get are. upset. And when you're in the hospital, you're sick. And people who are sick get upset, you know, and it's and hard. people who have family members who are sick get right. upset. Yeah, exactly. So when we get into the, the bad nurse story, we're actually going to talk about because this bad nurse story is horrible, but we're going to kind of get into that because it does kind of touch on on the, the frustrations sometimes of dealing with family members. So it's I, kind of the catalyst of mm-hmm. what happens. I know, which is really unfortunate. But before we get started and get into the bad nurse story, I do want to remind you guys that we are having the event Nurse Creator Con in Austin, Texas on September 24th. The event is going to be so much fun. First of all, it is an in-person event, but it's also virtual. So if you cannot be there in person, there is a virtual ticket. So go to nursecreatorcon.com and you can see all about it. We've got a lot of visual stuff on there that kind of explains what it is. But basically, it's master classes taught by nurses who have become very successful in doing some sort of a side gig, I guess, like social media, podcasting, creating a business out of their nursing knowledge. And they're going to just teach about that, that stuff. And also where it's going to be fun. We're going to have a taco bar, a cash bar. We're going to have some games and some live music. And it's it's just going to be a blast it's at an art gallery. It's going to be so cool. September 24th. Like I said, there is a virtual option. If you get a ticket, whether it's a virtual or in-person ticket, you'll have the opportunity to watch it back because it's going to be recorded for up to a year. So I just want to remind everyone of that. Go to nursecreatorcon.com and get your tickets. If you use the promo code GNBN-20, you get 20% off of the tickets. GNBN-20. So go to nursecreatorcon.com and use the promo code GNBN-20 to get 20% off your tickets. Are you thinking about going back to school to get a master's degree, maybe a family nurse practitioner degree? Well, it's so important to choose the right program. Samuel Merritt University's MSN FNP program has a 100% employment rate after six months. Unbelievable. And Samuel Merritt University has been kind enough to continue to sponsor our podcast, and they want us to let you know they're continuing to offer a $10,000 scholarship to anyone enrolled in their MSN, DNP, or Family Nurse Practitioner programs. If you're interested in getting more information about these programs, you can visit them at smumsn.com. That's smumsn.com. And of course, we'll put that link on our website if you want to just go to goodnursebadnurse.com. I also wanted to remind you that if you're interested in travel nursing, to go to trustedhealth.com forward slash goodnurse and fill out a profile so you can see what kind of jobs are out there. And you can also see what they pay, the stipend, the hourly rate, all of that. I'm a travel nurse now with Trusted Health, and I absolutely love working for them. So go to trustedhealth.com, be sure and put forward slash goodnurse so that they'll know that we sent you there and fill out a profile today. So I guess we can get started with this bad nurse story. Oh my gosh. So this is this story, I'd never heard of this before. And then I, I found it and I was like, wow, this happened in Japan. And oh wow, it's just it's just, it's shocking. I'm always horrified when I hear of things like this happening. It's put such a horrible blemish on our noble profession that I'm so proud of. And the vast majority of nurses are such wonderful, giving people who sacrifice themselves, I mean, literally, will work 12-hour shifts, never sit down, never take a break, get go all through their shift and realize they didn't even go to the bathroom, didn't drink any water. I mean, just because they just couldn't. They were one thing after another, doing one thing after another to help their patients. 
And that is what I know the nursing profession to be. Honestly, it really speaks to nurses, this story, how easy it is for them to do something so mm-hmm. like heinous yeah. and get away with it. Yeah. Well, like, for a while. If she had stopped, they probably she would have gotten away with it. Like the power that nurses have mm-hmm. and the resources, they can get away with things. And they and the fact that you don't see it happening a lot means that the nursing population in general is mm-hmm. for the like the vast majority of the people are very good people and they're quality people who can handle hard work. Yeah, absolutely. And I I witness that every day that I work. I witness how wonderful nurses are and you know, when I see something like this, it is true that nurses are in a position, you know, do hurt people. I mean, you are given this responsibility over over these people's lives. And many, sometimes these people can't even, can't speak, cannot even talk, can't say anything. But at the same time, even if they can talk, I mean, if they are aware, they don't necessarily know what you're doing, you know, when you're flushing their line or, or, or you know, giving them medicine. And they, they trust you. It, it absolutely kills me to my core, to my core, to think that these people put their trust and their faith in mm-hmm. in another human being, and that person would betray them so horribly. It it makes me it makes me so sad. And I, but at, at the same time, we do have to talk about these things. We have to talk about them because he, there are things you need to be looking for when you're working. Unfortunately. A few bad apples are going to fall through, and you never know where they're going to be. You don't know where these people are. And so you have to be aware and alert at all times of what's going on around you. And if you see something that just looks suspicious, you have to be willing to speak up and say something about it. You know. Having said that, this is a story of a nurse by the name of Ayumi Kaboki, who's a, a former nurse in y- Yokohama, Japan. So... September 2016, it wasn't that long ago, a nurse tending to a patient accidentally dropped an infusion bag and was alarmed when the solution began foaming. That's how they found out. Mm-hmm. The nurse dropped an infusion bag. Right. They don't drop the bag. Where, where, does, this, where does the information come from? Well, that's true. I, I mean, that's how this one happened. There have been yeah. other incidents where... Nurses were, were found out by autopsies, certain things, you know, coming up in, in autopsies, people just being suspicious, mm-hmm. like, wait, there's been way too many yeah. deaths, that sort of thing. But this particular incident, that's what happened. And this nurse was like, okay, this is just a normal bag of saline. No reason whatsoever why this should foam. What mm-hmm. is in this bag? And... Doctors examined the solution and discovered that it had been mixed with a solution called diametol, which apparently is something that's used in Japan as an antiseptic, like a detergent. And it, it was a used a disinfectant. It was yeah. used in hospitals to clean like the nurse's station. Mm-hmm. How horrifying to think that was in someone's IV solution. So all IV bags on the Oguchi Hospital premises were checked. Is Their concern, of course, is there was a possible contamination. And they did an internal investigation and discovered that one of the contaminated bags had been administered a mere two days earlier to an 88-year-old patient, Nabuo Yamaki. That patient had died. So nurses examined the contaminated bag and found evidence that it was tampered with. 
the protective filter that seals the rubber stopper had been pierced by a fine needle. All of the bags that I that I deal with, anyway, you have one little stopper that you open up and you can pierce with your tubing. You know, you you what we call spike. You, you spike it, and then it goes into the tubing. And then you have another little opening that has a little rubber tip. And if you need to put medicine in it, you can. And that's how you put medicine into saline bags. We have to mix them at the bedside sometimes. Not at all unusual, especially in an ICU, where if in an emergent situation, you're needing to mix up a bag of, of medication to get someone's blood pressure up, for example. So they, the, they looked at this and there was no reason for there to be a needle mark on this particular one because it was supposed to be, just be saline. If there's anything in that bag other than normal saline, it should have a sticker on it and labeled very clearly, you know, norepinephrine, phenylephrine, epinephrine, whatever the, the solution is, it's got to be obvious because someone could come along and see that it's, you know, it just looks like sodium chloride, just normal saline and think, oh, I'll just run this as, as just fluids. Like maybe the patient starts to go septic and they need like a little bolus of fluid. You see that hanging there and you're like, oh, I'll just run this in real fast and get, get the, you know, help get their blood pressure up. And you don't know there's a medicine in there. That's why it's so important that, that if you mix medicine into a normal saline bag, you put a sticker on it and you label what's in it. And that's what was very smart about this because she didn't use a medicine. She didn't have, there's no way to track mm-hmm. where she got that or where, where it came from, mm. who was tied to it. She didn't go get a medicine out of or the medicine cell that has her name tied to it. It's, right. She grabbed what she could put in there that anybody had access to. Well, that's true. There's I no mean, it, it doesn't narrow it down to just a nurse yeah. or a, or a, someone who would have access to the medication because a lot of times in some of these stories, that that is what catches people. They're like, wait, only a nurse yeah. would have access to this particular medication. And if you look on this day, only these nurses actually pulled these out, you know. And so that is how that, that's probably, I'm sure, probably had... Uh, was in her thinking. Clearly calculated. Mm-hmm. Clearly calculated. Yeah, and that's going to come into play a little bit later when we talk yeah. about about what was kind of going on with our two and some of the things that come out later on in the story. So they were able to locate about 10 other bags that showed the same evidence of tampering. Hospital staff feared that the unusually high reports of death could be attributed to the tampering of the IV solution. So they had recorded 48 deaths since July. And that's obviously a lot of a lot of deaths. I don't know how big this hospital is, but that sounds like a lot. So the staff members, I'm sure probably administration, reached out to law enforcement for assistance with this investigation. The Kanagawa Perfectual Police Department conducted an investigation and concluded that someone had, in fact, intentionally inserted foreign substances into the bodies of patients and deliberately killed them by mixing it in with the IV bags. So a special inquiry, of course, was enacted to try to resolve the case. I bet after this happened that all hospitals in Japan had to have colored disinfectant. I guarantee that's what happened. Ooh, you know, that's that's interesting. That's a good reason, a good reasoning for maybe... The blue, Mm -hmm. the blue dye. I bet it's a dye. Interesting. It's weird that the chemicals would be blue. Mm-hmm. Like, it's almost always clear, so there's got to be dye in it. That's a that's a good point. Yeah, I wonder if that happened. 
So investigators had a, a difficult time pinpointing a culprit as the diametol was used, obviously, throughout various parts of the hospital. So to resolve this, the police carried out an appraisal of what the hospital's inventory was and an examination of the employees' clothes at the time revealed traces of diametol in the pockets of Ayumi Kaboki. So I guess they're like looking at everybody's clothes. Smart. Yeah. So in addition to that, during the night shift, immediately after the incident was discovered, a security camera installed by the prefectural police showed her walking around the hospital with a drug that she was not assigned to administer. So it's very possible that she was caught doing this with the diametol, but maybe she was also doing other things as well. She became the prime suspect once a colleague claimed that he had seen her enter the room of a patient that she was not assigned to, and minutes after her departure, the patient's condition deteriorated and the patient could not be saved. So police began interviewing Kaboki at the end of June 2018 with the gathered circumstantial evidence. During the interview, she admitted to infusing the bags of at least 20 patients with diametol. She was arrested and charged with murder on July 7th. An additional murder charge was brought against her weeks later for the death of a patient in 2016 who died after the antiseptic solution was mixed in with his drip. After her arrest, however, her stance of guilt changed, and she repeatedly denied responsibility for the deaths when she was questioned by various media outlets. She even handwrote letters proclaiming her innocence. So I guess she had a change of heart and decided, I better start. I better. Maybe she talked to a lawyer. I don't know. Probably, because she probably realized I could get the death penalty for this. Mm -hmm. And decided that, you know, maybe the best, best thing to do was to say, never mind, I didn't do it. CBD Stat, they're amazing products. Love them. They support our podcast. Their CBD product is some of the absolute purest CBD out there. And some of my friends use it for headaches. I personally use it for foot pain. It helps with some people with their back pain. It's truly an amazing product. And they are so good to healthcare professionals. Such a good company. You know, I was able to use their product for the first time after you and I returned from Washington, D.C. for the Nurses March. They provided me with some samples. And I used it on a sore knee and then later on a sore wrist. And it helped so much. My daughter even uses it on her back for her scoliosis. And it really does help. That's amazing. And of course, their products are 100% THC free, which is great for travel nurses who have to take a drug test every three months. They only offer very strong CBD greater than 1,000 milligrams. If you're interested, you can go to cbdstat.care forward slash good nurse, bad nurse. That's cbdstat.care forward slash good nurse, bad nurse. Be sure and put the forward slash good nurse, bad nurse in there so they'll know that we sent you there. Well, she did that for a while and then I, she must have, f- have figured out like, it's not going to do me any good to deny it. I might as well admit it. And eventually she did come back and admit that she committed the crimes. She claimed that she did it because she didn't want to have to face the family members of deceased patients. So apparently I, she had said in one of the articles that she was under a lot of stress, that the, the, the nursing job took a lot of, what am I trying to say? That she was under a lot of stress, that nursing was such a difficult job, it took an emotional toll on her. And she was so overwhelmed that she felt like she, this, she had no other choice than to kill these patients because it would mean that she, they, were, they had very difficult family members to deal with, apparently, according to her. And 
if she killed the patients and those family members, she wouldn't have to deal with them anymore. I mean, I it's it's so hard for me to imagine like that's your solution. I I do understand that sometimes with our job how difficult it is. You know, nursing is very stressful and it, it can take a toll on you. And sometimes family members because they are so worried about their loved one, they can really push you to the limit. I mean, they they can push your buttons. They can be rude. They can be disrespectful. They can accuse you of of not taking care of their loved one. I get it. I get that, you know, nurses do find it difficult sometimes to deal with family members. I also know that as someone who has had to be a family member of a loved one in the hospital, that if you just try to put yourself in their shoes, they're not having their best moment. They're not, this is not their best time of their life. This is probably, in, in many cases, one of the most difficult things they'll ever have to go through, especially if their their loved one is and very, very sick. not every person is going to re- react to situations the same way you will. Mm-hmm. Some people have legitimate anger issues or difficulty dealing with certain emotions. Mm-hmm. They've had trauma related to something that's going on, and you just don't know what's going on yeah. or why they're behaving a certain way. Yes, I do agree with that. We Something we learn in nursing school is, is to include the family in the whole healing process. The family member is, is, a, is part of, the, of your patient care. You have to include them in that, of course. It's important. They, hospitals used to, or at least here um, in the United States, hospitals used to not allow family at the bedside. They would maybe have certain visiting hours where they could come in and see them. Then they would have to leave. They did not allow them to stay overnight and only allowed when a, a very limited number of people, maybe one or two. And now I think we understand that patients do much better if they have family at the bedside. You know, I, I mean, think we've vastly underestimated the mental aspect of healthcare. That- mm-hmm. Patients' mindsets and just their stress levels and things like that actually impact their health and their recovery. It can be anything. Right. Literally, their brain can change the way they recover, Mm -hmm. especially not having family being alone versus having family and seeing them and having the motivation to push harder. Yes. So even though I do understand how stressful it is, and they they can add so much stress to your day. You know, you're trying to be efficient with your time. You have more patients that you than you feel like you can safely care for. You're worried about all your patients. You're trying to get from one patient's room to another in a reasonable amount of time, and get all of your your medications passed and your interventions done, assessments done, your charting done, all the things you need to do. And then family members, a lot of times, are trying to speak up and advocate for their loved one. And so for us as nurses, it's easy for us to just just be thinking, oh my goodness, please just leave me alone. Let me do my job. I know what I'm doing. I'm taking really good care of your of your family member, but they don't know that. You know, they don't always know that. And I, I have to remind myself this of all of this all the time. I will be completely honest and open here. I have had my buttons pushed before where I've acted in ways that I was not proud, where I let someone just take me, you know, make me angry, you know, like, because 
anytime that's ever happened to me, and it's 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 not very often, but anytime that's ever happened to me, it's generally because the family member is being unreasonable. They're being unreasonable and they they don't know what's going on. They're making assumptions. They're treating me as if I'm not doing my job well when I know that I am. And so when you get talked to disrespectfully and in a condescending way, and, and I'm in just the right mood, like most of the time, I've let that stuff roll right off my shoulders. I literally just, you know, just keep doing my job, try to stay consistent, try to stay calm like I always am. I'm pretty much pretty neutral. I don't have I, I don't have a lot of extremes with my emotions, especially at work. But every now and then, every now and then, someone's like, I'm in just the wrong mood at just the wrong moment, all of the things, too many, too much stress. And it all comes to a point right then when someone says just the wrong thing. And then I literally come back with some snarky remark and show how upset, you know, like how unhappy I am with them or or whatever. And I always regret it. It doesn't matter if, if they're right, if they're wrong and I'm right and I, I even could be totally justified in what I said. I still regret it. Well, I think in today's age, because we are able to see the perfect side of every person, we hold ourselves to non-human standards. Yeah. So we look back at the times that we've fallen below what is perfect. I mean, you you just can't be perfect. And you have to accept that. Like you can look back at those times and think, oh, that's the only time that I've done that. Mm-hmm. That's pretty good. Like You're never going to be perfect. There's not a single person who can be a nurse and can who would not go off on a family member at any point in their career. Yeah. There's no way. Yeah. It's not possible. Right. But not too much. Like you have to like there's a limit, obviously. And obviously she she kind of passed the limit here. Well, and and I I you know, I kind of went off on my as I do sometimes Tina tangent with this because it did kind of hit a nerve because fam- I know how family members can can you know be difficult sometimes, and so I kind of just wanted to talk about that for a minute. However, obviously there is no way it, we this is on us. They they are the patient, they are the family member. We are the professionals. We are the ones. It is on me to carry myself professionally, and if I allow someone to push me to the to the edge where I have become unprofessional, that is my fault. It is not their fault. Yeah. It is my fault. Yeah. It does not matter what they said. I have to carry myself in a yeah. professional manner. Definitely. Period. And what this nurse has done is allowed this the stress of the job and and dealing with everything to just push her to some unbelievable point it's like a long time ago she should have just quit her job and got a job doing something else if it's that stressful that you get to the point that you want to you know hurt people yeah you have to wonder at what point did that flip Mm -hmm. at what point did that change well she said she even confided that after one colleague blamed her for the death of a patient, she perpetually fantasized about his demise. So, uh, I mean, she was homicidal, clearly. She was just someone who wanted to hurt people, and I feel like that she used this as an excuse to hurt people. It's possible, but also there is a reason why she 
did this. Why? Like she went to nursing school, mm-hmm. went through all of that pain to become a nurse and worked as a nurse helping people on a regular basis. And at some point, something changed. I mean, she didn't go to nursing school thinking I'm going to kill these people with, right. with the cleaning solution. Like, I mean, I doubt. I I doubt people go to nursing school thinking that the whole reason they're doing it is so that they can kill people. I mean, I really, I really don't. I mean, there are bad yeah. people in this world. No, I don't think anyone's done that. But there's other ways. If you want to be a serial killer, there's certainly other ways yeah. to go about doing it than to have to go through the horror of going through nursing school. Yeah, no, I, I don't think any serial killer would be dumb enough to do that. <laughs> but I, but I do think that there are people who go through nursing school and and go through medical school and other other healthcare professions that do, are doing it not necessarily to help people, but because of the prestige that they think mm-hmm. goes along That's with true. it, that they, how they'll look to other people. Oh, you know, I'm a hero or mm-hmm. whatever people people say. I think that that's also a possibility. Yeah, it is very possible. I see a lot of people feel like going to nursing mm-hmm. school to be a hero, mm-hmm. but maybe some people have that really strongly. And then if it goes the other way, yeah, they could fantasize about being the opposite. Right. Could be this, I just wonder about what could cause someone to go from being a nurse to... I mean, if they don't have the morals, the ethics, the integrity, the, you know, if they have, don't have that going into it, then, yeah, that could be a disaster because of the power that you're given over people. Yeah. Prior to the murders, there were apparently some bizarre reports of vandalism in the ward with reports of items being stabbed with needles, items going missing... Robes being torn. So I guess what maybe happened is she started out taking her aggression out on just like physical things and like vandalizing, Mm. and then it escalated. That, I could definitely see that, Mm -hmm. where she's harming these physical objects. Mm -hmm. And then one day, one day, Mm -hmm. she just hit that breaking point. And instead of puncturing one that wasn't active... Maybe she'd been building herself up mm-hmm. to reach that point. And that's and what she just did it. That's what serial killers do a lot of times. Mm-hmm. They they start out doing, you know, smaller things and then escalate to Honestly that makes more that's it's, you know, one of the only things that can make sense to me because how can you be that sane mm-hmm. that no one notices that you're crazy and be able to calculate something that heinous? Mm-hmm. And just not, people don't see that there's something wrong with you. Like there's, she had to be gradually building up to this. Yeah. Well, she confided to her psychiatrist to her psychiatrist that her true motive was a way to exact revenge on her colleagues and bosses by killing patients during the working hours of other nurses. So basically, she was trying to figure out a way to, you know, sabotage or contaminate yeah. these fluids so that other nurses mm-hmm. would be the ones that's actually mm-hmm. administering it. The patients would be dying on these other nurses' shifts. And so it, the suspicion would never fall on her because she wasn't yeah. even working while the deaths were happening. And she would cause problems and scandals and ruin other people's lives, you know, these other nurses, because, oh, Hey, every time that nurse works, a patient, you know, one of their patients dies. You know what I mean? I and mean, it sounds like she just is making up different excuses as to why mm, she wanted to do this. Yeah, which and, really, and honestly, this sounds more just like part of the plot that mm-hmm. she just wanted to pin it on other people. 
I think that probably she just really enjoyed this sinister, you know, this diabolical scheming and causing, you know, just wreaking havoc on everything around her. Whether and it's also flipping back and forth from confessing to mm-hmm. unconfessing, and then confessing to right. unconfessing yeah. the confession, right. like. There, there's clearly something she's chasing after, the, the feeling like she's in the spotlight, like she's the main character in the, mm-hmm. in, in the story of the hospital or something. Yeah. She's the main character of something. Yeah. She wants to be ha- have this attention on her. Yeah, so like maybe she admitted it at first and then she retracted it in order to be able to, you know, send out the, you know, letters saying mm-hmm. she was innocent and a, pl- a plea to the media but because she wouldn't get as much attention if she just— you know, it's it's if she just said, "Oh, I did it," that'd be yeah. end of story. But no, no, I didn't do it. Mm-hmm. And then once again, like it's it kind of end of story. I didn't do it, you know, and yeah. I don't have anything else to say. Okay, I did do it. So now she has something else she can talk about. It's yeah. just, yeah, it's like all the drama and wanting the media, to. <clears throat> and you can't help but listen when someone says they're not guilty because of how many times it's actually been the case when someone wasn't guilty. Well, that's true of something that and and police actually coerce the person into saying they're guilty in the original confession. Mm-hmm. So it happens, so you have to listen. So they just eat, feed into the, the right. power of the position, mm-hmm. just like she did when she was a nurse. Yep. She just feeds the attention for all she can get. Just manipulates everything. She's obviously very intelligent and able mm-hmm. to, you know, it's just, I mean, that's what a psychopath does, yeah. you know. Well, during her trial, prosecutors argued for the death penalty, claiming that she was fully aware of her actions. Her legal defense team, however, claimed the opposite and argued that she was in a state of diminished responsibility due to her schizophrenia. They said that she had schizophrenia. Ultimately, when the final judgment was delivered on November 9th, the Yokohama District Court acknowledged that she actually had some autistic traits, but rebuked the claims that schizophrenia altered her judgment. So there were claims that she had different, and I don't know, if sometimes the defense's strategy is to throw everything at the wall and see what sticks. I'm sure that that's the only thing you can do in a situation like this. Mm -hmm. And there are autistic traits that any person can have. Right. Obviously, they're going to try to grab each one that they can maybe contort into making sense. Right. But autism, autistic traits, autism, autism spectrum, whatever you want to, however you want to refer to it, that in no way makes someone capable of murdering someone. It has nothing, no, it has nothing to do with that. And so. Honestly, the opposite, generally speaking, obviously. Right. Individuals are different, but you don't think about autistic traits and think that it makes someone a calculated murderer. No, not at all. So she was found guilty of her of this her charges and sentenced to life in prison. The verdict is currently being appealed by prosecutors and attorneys as they didn't feel like that was satisfactory, but she could have gotten the death penalty and the judge did decide to not give her the death penalty because he said that she seemed to show remorse during the trial. I feel like she could show any emotion she wants to because I think yeah. she's manipulative and a psychopath, yeah. but that's just me. <laughs> Clearly, she's very manipulative. So I have to tell you guys about an experience I had with a nursing student. So you know I've been doing travel nursing. Well, this hospital where I'm at has a lot of LPN students doing their clinicals there. 
So one of them was following me around one day and she noticed my stethoscope. And of course, y'all know the Echo Technology Company that sponsors our podcast. They teamed up with Littman to make the stethoscopes, to beat all stethoscopes, the 3M Littman Core Digital Stethoscope. And this is the one that I use now. So she said, oh my gosh, I've been wanting to try one of those. So of course I let her use it. And she just could not stop talking about it for the rest of the shift. It was so cute. She was like, you know, I can't hear anything with my normal stethoscope because I have tinnitus. And so she was so excited because she could actually hear what heart sounds were supposed to sound like. She said, I'm going to ask for one of these for graduation. And I was like, yeah, you definitely should. So just so you know, the echo technology that makes the stethoscope so amazing, uh, you can enable it with a flip of a switch. You can turn it on and off. It has active noise cancellation up to 40 times amplification, wireless auscultation using Bluetooth technology. It connects with Echo's free app and software so that you can visualize, record, share, live stream, analyze heart sounds, lung sounds, and whatever body sounds you want to listen to. So you can go to echohealth.com. And use the promo code GNBN to get 10% off your order. And that's Echo is spelled E-K-O, by the way. So it's echohealth.com and use the GNBN promo code to get 10% off your order. So the good nurse story I'm so excited about because Levi and I were talking today, my youngest son, and he told me that Dr. Nalzaradon, the doctor for in my 600-pound life, had died. And I was so shocked. I couldn't believe it. And I was like, what? What happened to him? What happened to him? And he starts looking it up and he said, I'm just trying to, you know, like, I'm completely floored. How did I not hear about this? And he goes, oh, never mind. He didn't die. He's still alive. <laughs> so, uh, but I was so upset because I, I so admire him. And I've, I've seen that show many times and I always feel so, com- you know, compassionate and so much empathy for the patients on there as being someone who struggled with my weight my whole entire life. I, I empathize with them so much. And I love the compassion that he shows to them, although he's very firm with his patients. He's so compassionate. Well, that is compassion. Yes. He's very honest with them and tells them what they need to hear. So when Levi said he had died, I, I was so shocked. But then that was one of those celebrity hoax things where they're not really they're not really dead. So he's very much alive. But I thought it would be a great idea to do him as the, the good doctor story, because I think he is a good doctor. I think he's an excellent doctor and he's done a lot of good things for a lot of people. So one of the way he kind of got started in this is there was a woman by the name of Renee Williams in of all places, Austin. Which, yeah. how ironic is that? That that was not planned whatsoever. We're having the Nurse Creator Con in Austin, Texas this year. And this literally just came up today. And I, I was like, wait, this is in Austin? That's cool. But apparently she was thought to be the heaviest woman in the world at the time. And Dr. Now was willing to take on her as a patient, even though it was a very high risk with her. She was 841 pounds. He agreed to do the surgery, but... Unfortunately, because this is someone who is that severely morbidly obese, a lot of times they will pass away from a heart attack, and she did a couple of weeks after the weight loss surgery. But her family was so touched by the care and portrayal of of her struggles by the the crew that were they were filming the documentary. They gave the production company permission to release the film, and it was called "The World's Heaviest Woman." And that was a title that she herself approved before she died. So this is actually Dr. Now, who his viewers now call him Dr. Now, Dr. Now Zaradan. 
And his oldest son, Jonathan, is a CEO and co-owner of a production company called Megala Media. And that's the company that, that filmed the documentary. And then TLC picked up the documentary and it garnered so much attention that Megala Media began working on a docuseries called Last Chance to Live, which eventually morphed into season one of My 600 Pound Life. So that's how it all got started. Yeah. I thought that was an interesting story. Yeah, that is an incredible story. There's, there aren't many people like that who would look to the people who are just so far gone. Like they, they themselves don't have any hope for themselves. Like yeah. They've completely given up. Mm-hmm. They've accepted that they're not ever going to be anything besides what they are now. Yeah. And for him to go to them and try to get them out of that is a really, really beautiful thing. I agree. I, I think that it's very risky for a surgeon to work on patients who are that severely morbidly obese because they know that the the risk of them, you know, dying during surgery, it's going to affect their success rate yeah. of their surgeries, and that's important to surgeons. I mean, he's doing that knowing that it's against his own mm-hmm. goodwill. Like, right. It's it's not going to help him, mm-hmm. but. For some reason, he, he wants found to help them. himself. Yeah, yeah, that he wants to help these people who aren't going to be helped. Well, I really appreciate that. Like I said, I it's something I've struggled with my whole life, trying to be you know healthy and then struggling. This is with eating, overeating, emotional eating, whatever you want to call it. Joel, you are someone who has literally never had to worry about your weight ever. Yeah. So yeah. what do, what do you think of people who? struggle with weight i mean does it is it something well i think i was very active my entire childhood and when you like in in football it really forced me to be in shape and i was in such good shape during a formative time of my childhood that my body is just used to that Mm -hmm. so it's like i would have to really try to become out of shape because your body just is that way yeah once it finds a form it won't it'll try to just stay the way it is. Mm-hmm. Obviously, you can change it, but it takes a lot of effort. You can't just decide to change one thing and just without thinking and somehow that's going to change your life. Like you have to make a conscious effort and have a plan in place and execute on a regular basis and for a long term if you want to actually change your body. So it's extremely difficult and it's completely I could totally see how people can get into these positions, when you get to 300 pounds, then it's really difficult to move. It's really difficult to get up. If people struggle with depression and they're healthy, right? And they, it's it's hard for them to get up. Mm-hmm. So you tack that on to being 300 pounds or more, and it hurts to move. That's how it happens. Yeah, and I'm sure that's becoming more and more prevalent with mental health issues these days. Yes, I I know that it, I know that it is, and I I really feel for people you know that come into the hospital. We deal with we do see this a lot. You know, we we get patients that are easily three hundred pounds, or we definitely get pe- patients sometimes that are four hundred, even five hundred, six hundred pounds. We've had patients more than that before that I've that we've taken care of at the hospital. It is not easy for staff members, obviously, to take care of large patients like this because we're already understaffed. We already don't have enough help just to be able to 
you know, turn and uh, safely move patients, like cleaning them up, bathing them, that sort of thing, that are just maybe somewhat overweight, but not to that extreme. So you can imagine if you have someone who, say, weighs 600 pounds, it takes sometimes every staff member on the floor if that patient's going to get turned, if the patient's going to need to be cleaned up, pulled up in the bed, whatever. It takes a lot of effort. And so also it takes a lot of compassion because many, many times these patients are very embarrassed. They are very reclusive in their home life. They don't, most of the time, don't leave. And so now they find themselves in the hospital in a very public setting and exposed to all of these people and so it's very, very important that we respect them. And, yeah, you can't you know, help but understand why they want some sort of reinforcement yeah. to feel like it's okay to be where they're at. Mm-hmm. So that kind of compounds onto the problem of this should be stigmatized not to be okay. Right. Like this, this needs to be emphasized, like smoking kills a lot of people. We've made that to where you don't smoke when you're in high school. Like no one, it's, it's stigmatized. You don't, that's not okay. Mm-hmm. You don't allow yourself to be, to involve, you don't allow yourself to be involved with that. But the way that obesity has gone, the way food is produced in this country has, has, has a direct correlation with the amount of obesity in the country. And the same level of stigmatization is not there, yet the death rate as a result of that issue is completely out of this world. It's not even close. Oh, yeah. So we're just completely ignoring this massive health issue that's greater than any health issue facing the world. This country is facing an obesity issue that is greater than any other issue in the medical field. It is. I I do think it's directly tied to mental health issues, and that is another problem. Well, they go together, the food Mm -hmm. and the mental health. Mm -hmm. The mental health is in some ways a result of the food not being as nutritious, our diets not being as good as they used to be. Mm -hmm. There were a lot of factors playing into the mental health issue, but they, they all coalesce into people being overweight. Well, and they basically, it's a almost a circular because, you know, you have not eating healthy not, or, you know, eating foods that aren't good for you causes you to have depression. It's, you yeah. just don't feel good. Eating a lot of carbs, eating a lot of sugar, it is not good for your mental health. But then, and then when you gain weight, being overweight can be not good for your mental health because you don't feel mm-hmm. good about yourself. You don't want to be around people. Mm-hmm. But then just in general, if you are someone that struggles with depression and anxiety, you may have a tendency to use food as a, a sort of a, a yeah. medication. It's completely circular. Yeah. And like it's easy for me to talk about because I'm relatively very healthy. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I've seen so many people in my life go through that and get out of it. Like I've, I've seen many people go through that entire cycle and work their way out. It's just, you, you have to know that it's possible. Mm-hmm. A lot of people don't see that they can do it. Like they, they don't think that they can or they don't think that it's worth it. I don't know what it is. Mm. But I think we just need to give more like, praise, more people who do come out of it. Mm. And yeah. definitely encourage 
people you see who are, you know, getting out of being active, yeah. who are overweight. Like that, I always feel, like I always get a smile on my face when I see someone who's clearly has not been doing this very long mm-hmm. at the gym or out walking in the park or something because they're obviously making a conscious effort to try something different. Yeah, they're trying. And one thing that I, I've recently started getting, trying to be more active on TikTok for the for the podcast, just trying to put information out there, trying to educate people using TikToks and just, I don't know, just being on there. But when I'm on there, I'm also seeing other people's TikToks and connecting with nurses and, and that sort of thing. And what I see is sometimes there are people because they can be down in the comments and they can be anonymous who can be so mean. And I mean, absolutely just hateful, mm-hmm. mean, hurtful, just really just don't yeah. even care that it's a human being that you're talking about. That's the internet. I mean, like those people might be the people who would agree with what I'm saying, but mm-hmm. those people are just mean. Yeah. Like, they're just, they're, they don't have the, those people's interests no at heart no they they feel bad about themselves so they've got to make fun of other people right to make themselves feel better and that's, and that's just, just an easy is. it is and it's just an easy target and then you've they can say whatever they want to because they're anonymous and i think that's really sad and i think i'm stronger than most people so i can let things roll off my back but i know that there are a lot of people out there that are very vulnerable and it really scares me for them you know they put themselves out there and then expose themselves to all sorts of ridicule and mean and hateful, hurtful people. Yeah, I mean, there's a there's a huge difference between saying that it's not healthy to be obese mm-hmm. and that you're less of a person for being obese and that you shouldn't be you, you shouldn't be liked. Like, mm-hmm. there, there's nothing lesser about an obese person. It's that. The, their lifestyle leading up to that point has been unhealthy, and I would prefer that they change that because I care about them, generally. That's how I feel. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't mean you go make them feel bad about themselves. Right. Inherently. Yeah. Well, I guess that wraps it up for another episode of Good Nurse, Bad Nurse. Thank you so much for coming back on the show. Yeah, it's fun. And I want to remind you guys to, first of all, if you don't mind, if you like the show, you could always go and like and subscribe to our podcast. If you subscribe, then you will get a notification letting you know whenever we release a new episode. But also, if you would give us a five-star review, I would so appreciate that. Just go on wherever you review your podcast and give us a five-star review. I appreciate it. And also, if you want to reach out to us on social media, Good Nurse, Bad Nurse on all the platforms. And you can email me if you'd like at tina at goodnursebadnurse.com. And I also want to remind you that even if you're a bad girl or a bad boy, be a good nurse. (laughs) 